Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Space Jams podcast. I'm your host, Jim Murphy, and today we have a very special guest with us, Rachel Lyons. Let me, let me give a little introduction, okay? She is the executive director at Space for Humanity. She graduated from the University of Miami with a bachelor's degree in aerospace engineering, and she is a, I believe you have your, your certified diver. I am. There you go. We do our research. Rescue, rescue diver, actually. Rescue diving. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Well, now, well, wait, let's start. Now that we're there, rescue diving. How did you get into rescue diving? Mm, that's that's funny. Um, that's that's hilarious. That's I haven't been asked about this in forever. Um, so I was really lucky that I got to. I had the opportunity to do some programs during the summer as a kid living on sailboats and scuba diving every day. And, um, and I really committed myself to it. And, and it was actually before I ever even loved space. I didn't even know that I loved space. And, um, but I, I do I actually credit the time that I spent on the underwater in the oceans, exploring the oceans. I credit, um, I credit that as something that kind of like seeded my love for space because um, it, it allowed me to explore other worlds. And I think that is pretty common. I think one of my favorite astronauts, Kathy Sullivan, she, you know, she was the first woman to walk, spacewalk. And then she has also, I believe she's been in the deepest, she's been deeper than any other person on earth in the ocean. And so she like exploring beyond and below. And I think that's super cool. But I saw that, um, I thought that was an interesting thing because diving and working in the water is like a thing that astronauts do. And you're also an engineer or you are a, you have a degree in engineering. And I was like, maybe she's working her way to becoming an astronaut. Mm, yeah. I mean, of, of course I want to be an astronaut, you know, of course I want to go to space. I, I just did this VR, the Edgar Mitchell VR experience. Have you heard of that? I have not. What is that? Um, so IONS, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, their chairman is on our board of directors. Her name is Claudia Wells, and she's the producer for the Edgar Mitchell VR experience. And so it basically, um, through this VR experience, it recreates Edgar Mitchell's experience. He's, he's an Apollo astronaut, and he had this like um, profound experience of, of the overview effect. Um, feeling like oneness with our planet and with all of the universe. And so she works to, to recreate that experience through this VR. And I did it last night and um, it felt so incredible to be immersed in, in that environment. You know, it's like everywhere I look, it's stars and then the moon and, and then the earth. And, and I was like, yeah, I could, I want to spend some time out here. That's for sure. So you did this last night. Yeah, I did. My roommate has a VR headset, so we just, um, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. See, see, if we if we interviewed last week, you wouldn't have done this, and then we wouldn't have gotten that little tidbit right there. Exactly. Yeah. So if anybody here has a VR headset, anyone listening, um, look up the Edgar Mitchell VR experience. It is it's beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think you know you're just you're talking about the overview effect, and that is a well, that is the big part part of Space for Humanity, is it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then you are, of course, the executive director of Space for Humanity. This is true. And we're bouncing right in the middle because I didn't get to the, the preemptive questions, but we're going to roll with it. Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about your job 
totally. Um, so yeah, I have an incredible job, an incredible mission that I get to work on every day. Um, it is, yeah, so as running this organization called Space for Humanity, um, I've been involved for a few years now. Um, the, the story behind that is I was interning for Loretta Whitesides, who is another, actually, she's a future astronaut with Virgin Galactic, who spent time in the depths of the ocean and submarines filming Aliens of the, the Deep with James Cameron. So she's also like, I don't know if she calls herself an aquanaut, but she's like an aquanaut future astronaut. You know, it is, it's interconnected. And, and Nicole Stott, astronaut Nicole Stott is another one. Um, definitely something, there's a relationship between like the exploration of, like you said, down under and the exploration of, um, I don't want to say above, but it's actually just everywhere, you know? Um, so I was interning for Loretta. I went to the New Space Conference in 2017. And um, I the I was actually, when I go to conferences, I'm, I'm a big networker. I kind of, I love meeting people. So I'll typically like stand out in the hallway and talk to people for the majority of the time or like set up meetings, have, have meetings for people, with people. Um, but the one keynote that I stepped into at the New Space Conference in 2017 was Dylan Taylor, announced it, who's, who's the founder of Space for Humanity. Um, at the time, he was the CEO of a Fortune 1000 real estate company known as the most active space investor in the world. And he went, he was on stage and announced this organization called Space for Humanity. And he said that we are going to send regular people from all over the world to space with Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin. And at the time, at the time we we're going to be flying with Worldview, which is a stratospheric balloon company. Um, but now it's actually, we'll be flying with the Space Perspective, which is a different stratospheric, stratospheric balloon company. So we'll be sponsoring people to fly with these commercial space flight vehicles. We'll pay for their tickets so that they can go to space. They can have this experience of the overview effect, which I'm sure you and I will talk a little more about in a bit. Um, and then, using this perspective of our earth from space, which it's, it's the only way that we can address our most intractable challenges. Um, there's an Einstein quote that says something along the lines of you can't solve the same problems with the same perspective that you created them on. And so with all of the challenges that we are now facing on a global scale, we must expand our perspective in order to look at them. So from climate change to poverty, to education, to any, anything else, by expanding our perspectives, we can we can address them in new ways, and we can we can also um, we can also in um, I, I want to say like influence our or shift our relationship with our planet and shift our relationship with each other, and so we'll be sending people to go and have this experience, then come and then having them come back down and seed them. They're like seeds around the world sharing this perspective. So, what types of people are you going to be sponsoring? Will this be like the type of thing where people send in a resume or will it be random? How will you decide who goes up? Yeah, so we've we've already, we've opened and closed applications already. Um, we've had almost 4,000 people apply from more than 100 countries and nations. Um, and we're, we'll be reopening them as well. 
Um, so the, we're basically selecting based on, we're looking for people who are leaders in their communities. So people who, you don't need to be like, you don't need to have a fancy title or you don't need to be in a political leadership position, but someone who is, has, has a sphere of influence, someone who's working to create an impact, someone who's passionate about climate change or about um, ending world hunger or about one of these global challenges. So they can use this experience as fuel to forward their mission and um, expand their voice. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. And I think that I think that when you look at Virgin Galactic, uh, who's one of my favorite companies, I think what they're doing is very cool. Uh, just, you know, allowing this commercialization of space to be uh, like broader and giving it to the to the people of the world. And I think that's really awesome. And it's an interesting concept that I think you guys have come up with where you are helping those people get there. Mm -hmm. And so when do you think this will happen? Because Virgin Galactic is set to send up uh, Richard Branson first. He'll, he'll be their first astronaut, um, civilian astronaut. And then after that, they have people in line already with the One Small Step program, mm -hmm. uh, getting in line and things like that. So when would you be sending people up in the next couple of years, then the next decade, when? So it's in our, it is in our three-year strategic plan. Um, it, it will be as soon as the technology is ready. So yeah, they'll have, you know, Virgin Galactic has, has sold hundreds of tickets already. Um, they'll, they'll be flying, could be within the next year. Um, Blue Origin has been pretty quiet about when, when their flights will be, um, and they haven't started selling tickets yet. Um, and then the space perspective, well, they're, they're a new company. They just, they just went um, public with what they're doing, and, and they'll be flying within the next five years. So we're, we know it is in the inevitable future. Um, so, so we're, we'll be ready to go when the technology is ready. Um, so when are you going up? Um, I love that you asked this. Um, it's funny, my response has always been in the next 10 years and it feels, that feels like it's still true in the next, in the next 10 years. I guess last year I said in the next 10 years. So I could say the next nine years now by 2030. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. And I think, so is that a, is that a hopeful goal or is that a realistic goal? Um, it's not something I'm actively working towards. It's just like, it's just kind of like given the current state of things, given the way things are evolving, given the, um, yeah, just where the technology is going and the accessibility of it. I know I'm not going to be one of the first. Um, it's, that's not, it's not for me. It's for the people who we're going to be sponsoring. Um, but w given the way that things are growing, I think it's, it's going to be more and more accessible. So saying that I'll be going within the next 10 years is actually a really, um, really possible thing. So right now the tickets for a Virgin Galactic flight are like $250,000 plus. Mm -hmm. And that is a lot of money. Yeah. And so people that are going up first, we as a space community want them to share their experience but what I found is some people are a little worried that by sharing their experience, they'll also be boasting about the wealth that they have or the privilege that they have being able to go up. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel about that, that circumstance? We need people to go up so then it becomes normalized and it becomes cheaper so that everyone can go up. Totally. But what would you say to those first few flyers? How do they, yeah. how do they go about sharing that experience? I mean, that's, I love, I've actually, this is a great question. I love the way that you asked it as well. Um, 
Yeah, and I think, well, one thing that we're working to do is shape the narrative so that it's not it's not the common understanding that space is just for the ultra rich. It's like if we can give other people the opportunity to be connected to it, give other people the opportunity to go, then by sharing about it, it doesn't mean that you're part of that top 1% of the 1%. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I would say is that we, we get to shape the narrative and make space feel accessible for everyone, whether that's just through education, through um, sharing online, through um, having people from communities around the world be involved with space and work in space, and also through actually giving people the opportunity to fly. Yeah, I think that's that's very cool. And I we talked um, a couple weeks ago with a space lawyer, uh, professor or Dr. Edith E. Weeks, and she um, plans on going around and going around the world and teaching people who don't necessarily know about things about space or don't believe they're connected to space in any way mm -hmm. that space is for you. And I think mm, my angle at that is I'm, you know, I'm, I, I live in the United States and people who are history majors or they're into psychology or they're construction workers or something. I feel like my job is to tell them that eventually there will be a need for these things in space. And so you can Probably. get involved right now. So we are going to need psychologists in space. We're going to need construction workers in space. All these things will be necessary. And I think it's really cool that you guys are trying to allow them to have that or gain that confidence that it will be available to them in their lifetime. Totally. And isn't that like a fun thought experiment at the very least? So there's, there's books written about it, like Gerard O'Neill. I was just I read the first few pages of one of his books, um, but there's like, there's books written about it. There's people who've given a lot of thought about this. It's like when we have cities in space, whether that's on the moon or on a, um, on a, like an orbiting spaceship or it's on Mars or, or somewhere else, um, what are the roles that we're going to need? What, yeah, like in the, actually he talks a lot about the need for construction workers, like um, having people go and I think, I think he discussed like having people fly to asteroids to do, you know, do mining and then come back and bring the supplies and, um, and then also psychologists, definitely. There's a lot of people who work in space and definitely people who work for NASA as well that actually are like studying psychology, like the psychology of these long missions, long duration space flights. And how do we, how do we stay sane when we're in a small container with one or two or three or however many it is other people for an extended period of time? like without plants, which, you know, without the outdoors and without all of these things that actually um, are not only like what we're used to on earth, but also like here for, it, it's like supports our mental well-being. So there's a lot of people who are, get, who are studying this and giving a lot of thought into ways that we can support our astronauts. And, and one thing I, I'm reading um, Ron Guerin, astronaut Ron Guerin's Orbital Perspective. So he talks a lot about how the overview effect is, which actually I'm realizing I didn't even talk about yet. Um, it's the experience of seeing and viewing the earth from space. It's experiencing its interconnectedness and the beauty and the fragility and, and understanding that we live in, on a planet in this massive universe and we must act like it. The orbital perspective takes it another step and it says, okay, it's like the action of that. It's like, okay, you've now gained this um overview effect you've gained this perspective now what are you going to do with it so he says the orbital perspective is is like is what we do with it on earth 
And in the book, he actually talks about, do you remember, um, it, Jim, it was a few years ago, I believe in Chile, um, there, was a, there was a mine that, um, that collapsed with like 33 miners in it. Yes, yeah, I do. Yeah, and, and the Chilean government actually called NASA and had NASA come in and they were like, okay, like it's gonna take, a, we don't know how long it's gonna take for us to get these people out. I think it ended up taking them like 60 plus days, but they were like, how do we, like one of the biggest challenges, not only of like the, there's the engineering and technical challenge of like actually getting them out, but then it's also like the people challenge of how do these people not literally kill each other and not g get sick and not want to commit suicide? Like, what do we do when they're in this small, dark, confined space, crowded? How can we help them stay sane? And NASA actually helped with that. And so this is an incredible example of like global collaboration because people came in from all over the world and they also put out something um, like a contest for people to like, for the technical challenge as well. So they had people like, um, kind of, it's like almost like my understanding of XPRIZE when they say, okay, we have this challenge and who's going to come and apply and, and, and bring their technical skills and ideas to solve it. They did the same thing with this. And so they ended up choosing something that, you know, was just like the Chilean government wouldn't have had the resources for. It's pretty amazing. And I think there's been a lot of conversation from NASA this year because everyone has been in isolation or supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there's been plenty of astronauts that have posted on their Instagrams or LinkedIn's and things talking about how to deal with isolation. And uh, we talked to uh, the two astronauts that we talked to on this show, we, we asked them a little bit, a little bit about that. And they, they gave us their, their view on it. And it's very interesting to see like what they learned and what they're actually taught uh, like when they're, training to be astronauts and that's part of the program and it seems you don't think about that you know because it's like well they're astronauts so they're probably flying and they're they're working on you know technical things but then they're also getting prepared mentally for this for this journey so it's, mm -hmm. a, it's, a, it's another aspect that I think is very interesting totally yeah now you did go over the overview effect a little bit mm -hmm. and I, I'm, I'm I do think that's very that's such it's such a cool idea um, and I believe that is the mission for Space for Humanity. Or could you go a little bit more into the mission? We're getting people into space, the overview effect. Yeah. The end goal. Yeah. Well, so it's it's definitely a big, it's like, it's in our DNA. Like this is, this is why we were founded. I would say our mission, like, yeah, our mission is kind of, it's, it's like applying the overview effect. Um, but yeah, it's, so a little more about the overview effect is it was a it was a term coined by Frank White, who is a um, philosopher, Harvard professor, um, amazing space leader, um, also on our board, board of advisors. Um, he coined it a few decades ago, and um, he his story is that he was flying, he was on a flight, and looking out into the horizon, and he had this like. Yeah, just like this, his own experience of, of the overview effect, like this, his own understanding of, of this heightened perspective. And um, he realized that there, there's something like this that happens to astronauts when, when they go to space and they like, it's like we all intellectually understand that we live on a planet, but there, it's a different thing when you're, when you have that experiential understanding. 
So when it becomes part of your experiences, like part of like your, your body, like your body knows versus just your brain. Um, it, and it will change a person. And since Frank White had that um, realization, he's interviewed, I think, I think last time I talked to him, it was 42 astronauts about their experience and in, in space and having that. And um, I've interviewed many astronauts talking about it as well, because obviously this is, this is um, the biggest reason that I love space is because of the perspective that it gains and the way that it can help us evolve as a species. Um, and I mean, astronauts talk about incredible stories of um, beauty and also heartache. So it's like they see the beauty of this green, blue planet floating and and they're just in awe that this is, this thing is holding life and this thing is is hold is the reason that we exist and and we really as ron garen says we really are we are the universe like just by existing we are the universe and that is profoundly beautiful and, and important um and then but then it also can be devastating for them like i've heard astronauts i, I believe in astronaut nicole stott who's also on our advisory board, she, um, she talks about how, I believe it was her, she went to space twice and she could see a distinct difference in certain areas of the earth because of human impact. So like the deforestation in the Amazon and um, the, the expansion of cities and, and just in like less green and, and smoke in the air from fires. And it's like, they like see, you can take the, um, macro perspective of human impact on the planet and it especially when you understand and feel how important this planet is to sustain life and to sustain us it is truly devastating to also fully understand human impact on it and and how unaware we are of that as as a, as a civilization so a question I usually ask people, but you pretty much just answered is, so why should people care? Yeah. And I think that's a fun question for everyone to answer because it's kind of like, ouch. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important and it seems like, well, I'll let you answer. I'll let you yeah, answer. Yeah, thank you. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's the big, big thing. Um, and and I can definitely, I. Yeah, why people should care. There's a yeah. Some people say because it's it is um, it's fate for our species. Like this is about life in the universe. And if this is if going into space and um, having settlements on other planets and eventually like expanding out and out into the cosmos is is part of what fate is for life, then let's do it. Like let's let's. Free, it's like not about humanity at that point. It's about life. It, life evolving into what is possible for it and um and it's not about humanity it's like really not and actually frank white talks about th that in his newest book um which is called the cosmic hypothesis so that's one one perspective which i i love and i'm passionate about it and i'm excited about it and that's what's that's not going to convince people you know like that if someone's that won't necessarily like it doesn't land for everyone what'd you say that's you know people just do it for the plants you know? yeah do it for the plants exactly well so the space for humanity's motto is to space for earth and i think that's the way because yeah it's so often people say um why would we leave our planet when we have so many problems on it why would we spend so much money on these on these projects on this on this future when there's people starving on our planet 
when when we're when we're a lot of people say we're trashing our planet why would we use fuel and the rockets to go to space and it's totally valid completely valid and um world change activists repeatedly say that one of their biggest challenges is helping people gain the perspective that our biggest challenges are happening on so it's that is a common understanding and and beyond that um when we took the earthrise photo so we went around the moon um during the apollo era and we came back around the other side and for the first time ever humans actually saw and experienced the earth as a marble in the sky and they had their and they had their cameras so so people on earth were able to see that see the earth suspended in the cosmos as a as a finite and fragile planet and many historians actually say that 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 sparked the modern environmental movement so within within three years the environmental protection agency was founded earth day was founded a number of the leading organizations in the modern environmental movement were founded and yeah and and earthrise photo had many people credit that for making that happen um that's very interesting actually because just yesterday i was having a conversation my whole family's having a conversation about all of this and uh, we we're talking about when the environmental protection agency began and it was uh, it was under nixon and nixon wasn't actually the greatest proponent uh, proponent of continuing the exploring space but he knew that the he knew that space the program was important for american exceptionalism and so he had the shuttle program going and everything but it's actually very interesting that those things happened under nixon it's kind of like a it's kind of a tangent but i thought that last night i was very interested in someone a president who wasn't necessarily passionate about space uh kind of set up this this um dynasty for for protection to the world mm -hmm. maybe unknowingly but he did yeah for right. sure so you have um a very so you gave you gave someone else's perspective you said a lot of um people professionals uh talk about why it's important that we like look back at the earth um but what's your perspective it's it's that it's exactly that it's that like yeah i mean I mean, yeah it's exactly that it's that we live on a planet floating in the cosmos and we and we must act like it and and it's this is like that simple statement it's like we and we must act like it it's we must act like we're all interconnected and we must act like this planet is fragile and special and beautiful and that it's the only one that we've got and and let's also venture into space like let's let's see what's possible for humanity let's solve our greatest challenges while also um dreaming and working towards this visionary future mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's great and i think when uh, the you know i love the question of why should we go to space when we have all these problems because it's very difficult to answer if you well it's always very difficult to answer but there's so many great answers to that question it's not mm -hmm. a very simple question and so i think it's it's very interesting to hear different people astronauts especially talk about those things mm -hmm. um but you've said you've talked to I think you said like 40 astronauts, if I'm no, that was, that was Frank White has talked to 40. I'm not sure how many I've talked to. Probably, probably near 10 to 15. Wow. It's very exciting. But so of those people, 
Who would you, who do you, who's the most, who's been the most inspirational or just anyone in the space field? Who's like an inspiration to you? Mm, I love that question. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's funny also because I'm like everybody, every, my biggest inspirations, I've mentioned every single one of them. So Dylan Taylor, our founder, he's incredible, incredible space investor, founder, um, really doing his, his part in creating our future in space. Um, Loretta Whitesides, she's been a mentor for me as well, and she has an incredible background as an astrobiologist. Yeah, worked with James Cameron in the depths of the ocean, studied in the Arctic, um, does leadership training at Virgin Galactic, so like, and, and now does it on her own. So training future space leaders how um, how to expand and how to lead. And um, and I also think that's an important thing. It's like we need a new paradigm for what what we consider leadership. Um, societally so that's why space for humanity is addressing fundamentally addressing leadership and we like we need leaders to have this global perspective they to have this orbital perspective and we need people to be leading that yeah that that look at the world that way that love their people that love our planet that are like making decisions on behalf of the greater whole um, so that's, that's another thing is like, there's this new paradigm for leadership. And so I'm like, kind of, um, looking at the people that I'm, the leaders that I work with and learning from them and the way that they lead. Um, so yeah, Loretta Whiteside's astronaut Ron Guerin is incredible, huge, huge, huge inspiration for me. We just had him, um, for an event that we had a few weeks ago and, um, his perspective is incredible and he's about to his yeah so orbital perspective i have two chapters left i'm so excited to finish it um and then he's releasing his new book called floating in darkness which he says is truly his life's work um in a few months and i'm really looking forward to that and then astronaut nicole stott is also on our advisory board she's a huge inspiration for me um she's an artist and working on using the space perspective to help heal and and um help heal children specifically and that are in hospitals. And then Frank White, who coined the term overview effect. He's a huge, huge inspiration for me. And I've been, I've been working with him since the, since the beginning of um, my career. So yeah, that's, those are like, I would say that's like the core people at the moment, but um, I'm, I'm constantly inspired by the people that I'm working with that are supporting this mission. Our advisory board is incredible. Um, and, and it brings in people who lead with that perspective, like I said, like naturally people with people who have like think on behalf of our planet as a whole and think on behalf of people as a whole and um, people who, who share this perspective and see the power and the importance of it. So, so naturally it brings in people that I'm incredibly inspired by, like from our volunteers, our interns, to my colleagues, to our advisory board and board of directors, just all of them. That's, that's great. And I found the one thing that I love and that the reason I think that I really want to be involved in the, the space world, the, the field of space is because the people in it are just inspiring in themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, they are leaders and they look for leaders, but they're so willing to help people out. Like I have, I do this show and I, you know, it's a small little show, but it's, I love it. But I, I reach out to people 
And they're so willing to help because they want this information out there um, and they want to share their experience and they want to inspire others. And that's, it's such a great field to be in. It's such a great world to be a part of. I think it's, I think it's really, it's just a really great place to be. Totally. Yeah. I mean, the level of inspiration that people have, it's like, I mean, it's, there's a reason this stuff is hard. You know, they say rocket science is hard. It's all really, really, really hard. And it takes a level of inspiration and of like wanting, deeply wanting to be here in order to make this stuff happen. So yeah, I'm in full agreement with you. So rocket science is hard. Mm -hmm. You have a bachelor's degree in aerospace engineering, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. And so, well, that's a very cool thing to have. I wish I could do that. No chance I could ever do that. But could you tell us like a little bit about it? Why did you pick engineering? And and then now you've become more of a communicator. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I've just always been really strong in math and science. It's always been my strongest, um, fields and, and I like math too. I like how it just like, it makes sense. You know, like there's always in, in my studies, there's always an answer. I'm sure like, as I go do, if I were to like continue studying math and like get a PhD in it or something, there isn't always an answer and that would be its own, like frustration for me, but I love how there's a right and a wrong answer. I would always get an answer. It would just always be wrong. Yeah. Okay. Well, Hey, I mean, I couldn't do history. So, so yeah, good for you. Um, so yeah, I was always trying math and science and went in, I kind of just like randomly clicked engineering on the common app for university of Miami. I was applying both to engineering schools and business schools. And then um, I went into industrial engineering because it's the most business related. And I was just, I just didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't really have any passions. I just knew that I was good at math and science. And then um, going into my junior year of college, I watched the first episode of Neil deGrasse Tyson's Cosmos. And in it, he shows a scale of the universe. And I went from having no true passions, knew nothing about space, never really comprehended it as a real thing, to seeing the reality of our existence on this planet, in the solar system, in the galaxy, in the, in the, you know, whatever it is after that, and in, in, in the whole universe, like seeing the reality of this little tiny planet in this universe. And I just had like an awakening. And suddenly the way I looked at the world was different. And suddenly the way I related to people was different. And like suddenly I had like this gratitude for existence and this awe that I'm here. And I knew I had to do everything I could to work in the space industry. And so it was that summer, I was 19 years old. I switched into aerospace engineering and was like, I want to build the rockets to help me help us get to other planets. Like I want to, I want to do that. And um, I had fun in engineering school for sure. Um, but I just learned soon after that it wasn't what, what the reason that I was there was about this perspective. It's about like that shift that happened to me and wanting to bring that to other people. Mm. And there, and I just didn't love engineering like other people loved it. You know, and there were some really gifted engineers that freaking loved it and did an incredible job and doing incredible work working as engineers in four different companies, for different space companies. And like for me, that's just not compelling at all. 
and I got really lucky to meet Dylan while I was still a student, Space Humanities founder, and um, and ultimately start working part time as a student, and then um, start um, continue on, and then start full time a year a year after I graduated. That's really cool. And yeah. in in there somewhere, you got into radio a little bit. You were on WVUM yeah. five, The Voice. Uh huh. And then now you. I mean, what you do a lot is you interview people and you talk to people all the time um, with the voice and all that. Do you view yourself as a science communicator? Um, I don't define myself as that. No, um, I would I would say like I could I would um, if someone described me as that, I would like I would say, yeah, that works. Um, but I don't really define myself as that. I just like I kind of view myself as like. Um, that's like part of my job, you know, like I'm more, like, I'm like, I'm leading this organization and that's kind of what I see myself as, as like the leader of this organization that is working to make this happen. And part of, and like a really big part of it is the communication. Um, and I think, yeah, but I don't, I mean, I'm not a science expert at all. Um, so I think that there's some really incredible science communicators out there that have been studying the sciences for a long time and are dedicated to bringing that to the public. And that's not necessarily my thing. My thing is more around, um, it's like, it's, it's around perspective. It's around like what I'm passionate about is like expanding people's perspectives. Mm -hmm. So um, th that's what I'm working to do, which I don't know if that really has a title at the moment. Yeah, we'll find the title. We'll find yeah, well, it'll, it'll, it'll come at some point. Yeah, it'll come. It'll come. And let's just talk about what's getting. Neil, Neil did it again. You know, he 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 brings out the best in us. Totally, I know he's amazing. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Star Talk. That kind of that was an influence for me to start doing this. Uh, but yeah, he's he's hilarious. And the him and the whole Carl Sagan thing is very cool as well. Mm-hmm. Um. So. Uh, so we talked a lot about a couple of different. You know, we talked about Virgin and Blue Origin and. Uh, SpaceX and things like that. The commercialization of space kind of started back in the 80s mm -hmm. under Reagan. I mean, they talked about it before that, but it kind of got going in the 80s with Reagan. And Space for Humanity is trying to get people into space through these companies. So how do you feel about commercialization of space? Like, how do you feel about these private companies? Because without them, a lot of some um, some major astronauts are not super pleased with the commercialization of space, but without it, it might be hard to get people into space. So how do you feel about it individually? Totally. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like there's um, the terms that we use, like the terms that Virgin Galactic use, like, and that we use, it's like, do we call these people astronauts, even though they didn't train for two years? Or do we, you know, it's like, do we need to come up with a different word? That's been a conversation for us. And, and I know it is for the other commercial space flight companies too. Um, because especially I think the Apollo astronauts have, like they worked really, really, really hard to, to um, not, it's not only to earn that title, but they worked really, really hard and that allowed them to earn their title. So it's totally understandable that they're like, that there's pushback there. Um, and for me, I mean, I'm a, yeah, I'm a, of course, I'm a huge supporter of commercial space flight. If I wasn't, then I wouldn't be here. I'd be maybe working for NASA or something. Um, 
And um, this year or this past year, 2020 has shown like the, the partnerships between SpaceX and NASA. It's like, like we're, the public and private partnerships are emerging and, and private and private partnerships are emerging. And it's like, it's still, it's like there needs to be this greater, um, this greater degree of collaboration for this all to happen. And I think that there's like, there's perks to NASA. And, and then there's also downsides to working for um, such a big, big uh, national organization. And same with the commercial space flight organizations. It's like, it, there's, there's perks to being small and a little bit more nimble and, um, and, and commercial. And then there's also downsides to it. And, and the fact that we can begin to work together to make these things happen. It's like, like, yeah, we're going to the moon and it's going to be a public private partnership. It's going to be a public, it's going to be a partnership between SpaceX and NASA. And, um, and then like Blue Origin is working on moon, moon things as well. And it's, it's all, it's all gonna happen together. So I'm a big supporter. I'm a big supporter of all of it. Nice, me too. I'm good yeah. with all of it. I'm thinking, yeah. however we can get there, let's do it. Exactly, yeah. let's just do it. <laughs> it's, as long as, you know, it's all working out and everyone's okay, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. Totally. Yeah, I'm hoping, I, this is a very interesting concept actually. The idea of, if you're an astronaut, if you go to space, I think like technically, you are well now there's an association like the i forget exactly what it's called but it's like an association of astronauts and to be a part yeah. of it, you have to orbit the earth twice mm. the only way you can be led into the club is if you orbit the earth twice now virgin galactic and blue origin you're going to go up for minutes um, yeah. i know spacex will is working on something for a lot more money it's like 20 million dollars that you can yeah. go to the iss for like five days mm. that would be very cool but i don't have 20 million dollars laying around um but I think it's an interesting concept of what we would call people if they go to space on this virgin uh, flight or the SpaceX flight. Cause think about it in like 200 years when going to the moon is like taking a bus, you know, they, they won't be called astronauts anymore. Mm -hmm. Just like, you know, a pilot, if you got on a plane, you're not a pilot, you're just sitting there doing nothing. So True. Uh, you're a passenger, I suppose. An air, an astronaut, a pa astronaut, a passenger. It's so much cooler to say that we're astronauts, though. Yeah. Name, not I mean, in status. I'm yeah, and then, and it also like gives us a connection to space, you know. But maybe, maybe there'll be a new term. I don't know. Let's keep an eye out. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll, we'll mm -hmm. see. We'll see. We'll coin it ourselves. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Look, we got through all the tough questions, and you've done beautifully. I know you do this kind of all the time most of the people <laughs> i interview don't do this all the time so it's it's fun but um so now we get to a, a very fun question that i have which is what is your favorite science fiction book mm. or if there's not one of those we can we can go to films or shows yeah um okay so yeah great question i mean Yeah, I would say I haven't read too much science fiction, actually. Um, I think most of the most of the books that I've read are nonfiction, like in the science realm. But and it's like I'm just I actually like don't indulge in much media at all in general. Like I've only watched a few space films and um, a, a number of space documentaries as well. Um, I've just started the show, which I don't think it's science fiction, actually. It's a little bit more like, it's a little science fiction-y. Have you ever watched The OA? No. 
Okay. Well, <laughs> we won't go into that, but I just started this show and it's blowing my mind. Basically, and it doesn't matter. No, explain, but, explain, explain. Okay. Okay, great. Um, this, well, this guy is basically doing um, science experiment. He has like humans held. It, it's like horror. So yeah, but he has humans held as captives and he's doing science experiments on them to, to research near-death experiences. And so like, he's like, ama- so apparently in this show, when you do it, when you have a near-death experience, you like go to another realm and so he's researching like what that other realm is, but it's like horror because he's holding these people as, as captives. So that's a really interesting one. Um, not space. I mean, it's like space related in its own way, but yeah. <laughs> um, the movie that I love that I always point people to when they ask me about space films is Interstellar. Nice. Um, so that was when, when I first started like discovering my love for space, I read the whole science behind Interstellar, which is written by Kip Thorne, who is the lead scientist on Interstellar. Um, and then I watched Interstellar and suddenly I understood the theory of relativity. You know, I understood the relativistic effects of time, obviously at at a very simple level, but enough for me to, for it to just blow my mind about what the hell this reality is, you know? Yeah. Well, um, remind us, uh, remind us all not to piss you off, Rachel, because you're watching shows about near-death experiences and keeping people in, you know, heads <laughs> or something. <laughs> I just, I, I just, um, I what never watched shows. What does Mars look like? Ooh. What, what'd you say? I said, what does your Mars look like? It's just you there torturing people. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, and, I mean, it's just, I, I just started watching it within the past week, so it's like on the top of my mind right now, and it's, really really good like it is definitely a thriller all right nice yeah if you're not you're not into science fiction but i have to do it anyway because i'll be honest i've been watching star trek the next generation Uh and it's legitimately i think it's the best show i've ever seen ever Mm. hands down that's the best show i've ever seen i think every episode is is great it's it's unbelievable like they don't have bad episodes and they they go into great things about it's about humanity and about space everything it's fantastic and then for uh, i've told everyone else what i like book wise but that everyone should watch star trek next generation is fantastic yeah try not to get trapped in rachel's basement (laughs) but uh (laughs) so but Regardless, science fiction, do you believe it's important for space exploration? Absolutely. I mean, so me, I, so, well, it's funny also because I had my aha moment watching Cosmos, which is a documentary. And so I watched, I would say, I watched many more documentaries about this kind of stuff. Um, But many people have their aha moment that makes them want to work in space through science fiction. And so it's like, like, yeah, like you ask about being a science communicator and about sharing this with people. And um, so, so often people come and work in space and want to apply their brains to making these far reaching things happen because of watching that Star Trek episode or that Star Wars episode or probably not the OA, but. (laughs) (laughs) But for some. Yeah, maybe for some, maybe that makes them, I don't know what that would make them want to do, like research near-death experiences maybe i don't know (laughs) (laughs) oh man that's that's a unique answer we've never gotten before yeah (laughs) 
what's, hilarious. What is interesting to me and what's not unique is that you're not the only person to say that they're not, they don't, they're not super interested in the science fiction. I've talked yeah. to scientists and astronauts and they have said like they, you know, they then really, they don't really dive into the science fiction, which I think is interesting because I, I think it's a huge influence on me. Yeah. And I assumed it was on everyone else, but that's what I get for assuming things. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thank you for agreeing. For me, mm. self-deprecating. Mm. All right. We talked about this a little bit, but I'm uh, a big question we always ask at the end is, or near the end, near the end, someone will ask a question, um, is how do we get young people excited about space? Mm -hmm. And I think that you kind of touch on this with how we get everyone else excited. Um, but I think young people in particular, like middle schoolers or, you know, even like first graders and things like that, how do we get them excited about space? And sometimes saving the earth might not be as appealing. So what do you think? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I definitely through, through the, yeah, science fiction world, through books, through reading to them, through telling them about space. Um, one of my friend's daughters um like she i don't a lot of kids i know just have a natural interest they just need to be exposed to it like i have one of my friend's daughters is she has like dreams about going to space and and now since meeting me it's like she knows that it's really possible and it's on her mind all the time and she's four and i have another friend who has a son who every time i go over to their house he talks to me about space and so i think like nurturing the imagination of kids is so important and like paying attention to them when in in their imaginative space and like like my friend told me about his four-year-old daughter he was like she's always wanted to go to space she's always talked about going to space and now that i know you and i know what you're doing i actually can tell her that this is possible and so like really like supporting the dreams of kids supporting their they're dreaming about space and their questions about it and bringing them to the museum and showing them the movies. And um, I think, yeah, I think, I think that's the biggest thing is like um, really al allowing and encouraging kids to be imaginative. Mm. And yeah. I think we, I've talked about this with someone before on the show, but when, how do you think we should be, you say like at a young age, like they, you know, they have a general interest and I'd agree with you, but when we go to school, um, I think that we should be incorporating like more connections to space as we go along. And I, I'm not, I wasn't taught a lot about space. Um, like my, my space interest came from my family, my parents and things like that. But do you, when do you think we should introduce this kind of stuff? Like how old? How, how old you said? Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking like, you know, they born and then we just put them in a space suit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, and I do, I know kids that were raised by big space people that it's, space has been a part of their life for their entire life and they just don't know life without, without that perspective. Um, I don't know, I mean, age-wise, I think, yeah, like, let's, uh, of course, I'm biased as heck. Like, I'm like, let's start them early and keep them immersed in it. Um, but I think that's, I, I think that there's a lot of, um, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot, like, the education system doesn't, in my experience, I don't think it really nurtures imagination. It's a lot of, like, memorizing and regurgitating information, and it's not for, like, never nurtured my imagination or my, in my experience, or my creativity, and I think that there's, um, 
there's an opportunity there and I don't know like I think it's a big complex problem and I think that um like kids and uh, yeah kids need to be nurtured as they learn and, and allowed to explore their interests in in a way that perhaps our school system doesn't allow damn you school system you made rachel's favorite science fiction oa it's your fault <laughs> oh god i totally That's hilarious i totally agree yeah I'm, I'm never gonna let you live that one down yeah, I know. I mean, it was. It, yeah, just. Funny. It's funny that I decided to bring that one up. Yeah. No, it's great. I'm glad you, you should did. watch it. Honestly, it's. I'll, like, I'll throw really an episode on. Good. Yeah, what I can't. I said I'll throw an episode on. I can't make fun of you without at least seeing one episode. Yeah. It's fun, but I totally agree with you. I think the creative aspect of school is something that we need to improve on, um, because, you know, what being an explorer is all about is creativity, imagination. It's very. It's just you know, that's that's what we need. Totally. That's what we seek out. Yeah. And it's like, isn't there an Einstein quote that says imagination is more important than knowledge? Yeah, I think, yeah, it's something like that. It's like imagination is the true um, test of intelligence or something. something. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it seems like our school systems, they favor knowledge. That's what like the whole test taking thing is. It's like, it's like what knowledge do you have versus like what, what imagination, like where can your imagination go? Yeah. Yeah. Critical, critical thinking is big. It's big in the job community out here. Mm, yes. <laughs> Rachel, we got one more question for you. How can people get involved in space for humanity uh, or donate? How does that work? How can we help, yeah. how can we help others get to space? Thank you. Um, yeah, great question. There's a lot of ways to get involved, a lot of ways that we, we want to continue expanding. I mean, we creating community for us is really, really important. So whether that is our community of donors, our, our vision circles, which is the, the high level donors, um, our, our applicant, our astronaut applicants, we have, like I said, thousands of people from all over the world and we want to like create community with them. And then we have our just like core community of people that show up to all the events, follow us and, and are part of everything that we do. Um, so people can join our email list. That's the very first place to start. Go to spacefreemanly.org, put your email in there. You'll start receiving our emails. Um, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're, we're most active on Instagram. We have, a, we have a show called Humans of Our Planet where we interview some of the amazing people that are behind this and supporting this. Um, that's at Space Humanity. Um, we also, yeah, we have a monthly donor program if you want to be a Space for Humanity member. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, we have um, larger, we have ways for people to be involved in larger capacities as well. So um, a lot of different ways and um, happy to welcome anyone who wants to be part of the family. So listen to that. Everyone join the family and join we'll the go to space in 10 years. Mm -hmm. There we go. Well, Rachel, this has been fantastic for me. I've just made fun of you a lot. So for you, you probably never want to talk to me again, but... <laughs> everybody uh, thanks for coming in listening uh you can follow us on instagram at space champs and uh you can listen to this I've, i mean you should know this by now but you can listen to us on spotify or apple podcasts or things like that i don't know you figure it out and uh everyone thanks for joining us rachel thanks for coming talking with us giving us your wisdom and everyone out there remember to keep looking up Thank <laughs> you.